Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 417 of the podcast. It's June 9th, 2021. Our guest today is Dr. John Kanegi. You can learn more about him and find links at leanblog.org slash 417. But Dr. Kanegi knows healthcare as a physician, as an executive, as an academic researcher and advisor. He has clinical experience as a vascular surgeon. He's also been a chief of surgery, chief of staff, and a regional vice president for business development in a nonprofit health system. But his most meaningful experience was becoming a patient, and you'll hear about that today. That led him to search for new answers. He became a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School, where he studied companies including Toyota. And the result of that work and research is what he calls adaptive design. We're going to hear more about that again today. And I will encourage you, please go sign up for a webinar that Dr. Kanegi is presenting in the Kinexus series on June 15th. You can find a link to that registration link, or if you listen to this after June 15th, you can find the recording by going to leanblog.org slash 417. Thanks for listening. Our guest again today is Dr. John Kanegi. His firm is Kanegi and Associates. Uh, I, I hope you know of him and his work, in particular, his book titled Design to Adapt, Leading Healthcare in Challenging Times. Um, so before I tell you a little bit more about Dr. Kanegi, let me first off say uh, welcome. Thank you for being here today. How are you? Thanks, Mark. I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I'm really excited about our conversation today. I'm, I'm going to mention also um, there is an upcoming webinar on June 15th um, as part of the Kinexus continuous improvement um, webinar series on, um, here, I'll, I'll let you just uh, tell a little bit about it, John, in your words. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in um, the concept of Kata has, has uh, of, of Toyota Kata has really opened doors for me as I look at my work and, uh, uh, and, and, and the nature of adaptive design. My, my work grew out of my experience with Toyota uh, uh, but and, I, and I, what I see in Kata really grasps what I learned at Toyota in that it's this is really about developing people, everyone in your organization, to continually improve. That's the way improvement. This is not the job of somebody else. It's the job of everyone. And some of our latest work in adaptive design really connects leadership to this frontline work appropriately at their level. I think that that's the most important thing. This is, this is what, does, what does the CEO need to know? What does the COO need to know? What does the chief nursing officer or CMO need to know? And it's always different depending on their role. So that, I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity, I think, to really make a difference in healthcare. Yeah. Well, developing people includes developing leaders. And uh, I think that's a great goal for any organization, Toyota or a hospital system or otherwise. So I appreciate you putting that additional focus on the idea of developing leaders. Yeah. And it's leaders at all level. My, my term now is virtuoso leadership. And uh, 
what's, what's a virtuoso? It's a master. It's an expert. And we're not talking about playing an instrument. We're talking about operating and leading an organization. And virtuoso leaders create virtuosos at every level. And uh, it's the virtuoso at the front line that gets to be the key close to the close to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. We can think of uh, a symphony. I used to play in symphony orchestras as a kid. You can have a virtuoso conductor leading virtuoso violinists and oboists and even percussionists in the back. You, you exactly. can, I don't know if I was a virtuoso, but um, virtuosos at all levels are helpful. Well, that's what we'll, that's, that. That's the nature of our podcast today. Yeah. And um, looking forward to that webinar as well. So people can register for that by going to kinexus.com slash webinars and uh, look for the link um, for that session. Um, Just a little bit more um, about um, John's background. He knows healthcare um, from so many different perspectives as a physician, as an executive, as an academic researcher, as an author. Again, the book is designed to adapt. Um, as an innovator. Um, He has clinical experience as a vascular surgeon. He's been a chief of surgery, chief of staff, and the vice president of business development in a multi-state health system. But his, uh, as it says here in in his bio, and I know the story, and and I'm going to tee you up to to tell it, if you you will, um, how your most meaningful experience was as a patient. And, and this comes to the origin story question that I ask um, most every guest here. How did you get introduced from your background as a clinician, John, to the Toyota production system or what many would call lean? Yeah, so that's a, uh, that's a, that's a progressive path. I, I have always been interested in uh, how healthcare works. It's just, it's, I, it's, it's fascinated me. And uh, I had the good fortune. I figured when I was, when I came out of medical school and as residency, I was just going to go out there and take care of patients. But the world I entered uh, a, a long time ago now uh, was a, a different world. It was the start of managed care. And our surgical group actually uh, was one of the first groups that approach this issue of capitation and uh, creating an accountable care organization when we contracted with Kaiser to do surgery for them in our area. And uh, that contract lasted for 24 years. That was a long, long time getting there. And my first learning as a leader was, uh, because I was always interested in the business side. One of the one of the least business-like of our surgical group, and then that's that's essential too. You have to have that. Said uh, Canadians are spending all this time figuring out cap rates and talking to lawyers and going to meetings and all that sort of stuff. Look, let's just uh, my his his wife happened to uh, uh, be an OBGYN for Kaiser and said, you know, simply, hey, we're a very coordinated unit. We're more efficient than Kaiser. Let's just take what they would pay a Kaiser surgeon to to come to our area and they knew exactly what the per member how many surgeons they need per per member and so that that simplified our life and uh, it also taught me um you got to listen and you have to and being being aware and learn so moving on we had a, we did have a successful group and uh i found another place to listen and learn when uh, in uh, 1992, I fell out of a tree and broke my neck. And um, I was totally disabled for six months. 
and uh, fortunately didn't kill myself. And, uh, and I learned a lot over that period of time because I really had nothing to do but watch what was going on around me. And what I discovered is I had many wonderful things happen to me. I am a complete recovery. I am completely functional. But I, the discovery was many of those wonderful things happened on the back of an individual going the extra mile to make sure I got what I needed, not what the system was trying to deliver to me. And the other discovery was the system, which I was a big part of developing, not only didn't necessarily help them, it could clearly get in their way. And that really changed my brain, my, my, my thinking. A, a, a lot of adaptive design is based on the neurophysiology of how, how humans think and act and work. And um, I just decided physicians needed to be more actively involved in management. And so I became a, this progressive management role. And um, that took me uh, into corporate leadership, very forward thinking, uh, uh, managed care organization, doing lean very early. And uh, what I discovered there in doing that was, and I continued to work because I love surgery. I love taking care of patients. So it was a, it was a halftime thing. Some of my best efforts as an, as an executive made my life worse as a clinician. And uh, well, I was part of our automated systems leadership team that was focused on, this was the start of the electronic health record world. And we were one of the first places that went into that world. And I spent a lot of time, effort and energy doing that. And uh, it slowed me up. <laughs> Yeah, it gave right. me information that I didn't make, made it harder for me to make my information. And so uh, uh, the, it, it, I was the same person on both sides of this and the manager and the doctor, but I couldn't meet my own needs. The other thing that happened is, and I go into this, we'll go into this in, in, the, in the Kata webinar, managed care really uh, uh, failed in uh, the... Uh, into the, into the late 90s, early uh, 80, uh, uh, 1980s. And the reason it failed, it was not profitable. And that was the start of the layoffs. And I had to fire the chief of our social service department who refused to go along with the layoffs that were mandated or her team. And, uh, and I knew she was really a good person. So that really was, that had an effect on me. But the, the, the mantra for our exec team, listen, listen, when the growing gets tough, the tough get going, you know, we got tough, we're, we're gonna, we're, we gotta, we gotta work, we gotta do this. And so um, that was a dilemma. And I, and the final dilemma of this was that I, how do you get enough data up fast enough to analyze and quick and predict quick enough so you can implement back into the system? Because we'd spend a lot of time, effort, and energy designing and implementing these projects and technology, but the world was changing underneath us in unknown and unknowable ways. And there was a mismatch between our best intended efforts and what we got. And so 
I convinced the, the senior executive team to, I uh, said, uh, I had a connection at uh, Harvard's Kennedy School and um, uh, a, um, uh, through a physician, retired physician at, from the Harvard, uh, from Harvard Medical School who was active at the Kennedy School. And I ended up taking a step out and um, spent the, uh, a year and a half uh, at the Kennedy School. So that kind of started that started this path uh, toward learning. Um, the, and I'll close with the, with the history um, in that while I was uh, at the Kennedy School, I took a course uh, from a guy by the name of Clayton Christensen at Harvard Business School. And I actually took the second course that he taught. And everybody told me, well, what do you taking that course for he's kind of a geeky guy and he's talking about new product development you're a doctor you know what are you doing that for and um uh clay really um moved my mind into the different into a different place because the uh his his concept was the theory of disruptive innovation that the leaders don't lead when change fundamentally happens in the marketplace. And um, the innovations come from outside and, and under. And oftentimes the prevailing leader fails. And yep. the market leader at the time, yeah. The market, the current market leader. So what is it about being great that um, makes it difficult for you to moved to a new place. And he asked me to be a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School. And, um, yeah. and that led to Toyota. Yeah. Um, quick detour on um, Clayton Christensen. I mean, he had keen interests in healthcare. He's most known for his book, The Innovator's Dilemma. Right. But then he wrote a book later, The Innovator's Prescription. Right. So when you talk about learning, I'm sure he learned from you. He was learning from others in healthcare as he was coming up with uh, ideas for Distri you know, needed disruption in healthcare might be one way of saying it. No, and that, that's how he offered me the position. I uh, we I co-authored with him the first article on disruptive innovation in in, in healthcare and in, in HBR. And yeah, the learning from him he is a he was an amazing. Unfortunately, he he has died. He uh, uh, a long time insulin uh, you know juvenile diabetic, and and so he had an intimate relationship with the healthcare system. But yes, uh, he was a, he was a, he was a, he, he was a tremendous influence on me and my work. Yeah. So you've mentioned Toyota then. So there were others you learned from. Can you share uh, a little bit of how that came to be and yeah. what you were studying? Well, I, it's a, it was a little bit like a kid in the candy store, uh, as far as the Harvard Business School and a doc who wants to know how complex things work and. Um, uh, Carlos Baldwin, who was doing, who was the uh, dean of students at uh, at, at HBS at that time, was doing some very interesting work in uh, modular systems, which also in, in influenced me a lot. And I talked to her about that. I'd been interested about Toyota, and and I'd talked with Jim Womack, and she said, "Well, if you want to know about Toyota, go see these two guys." And uh, so uh, he sent me over to uh, meet Kent Bowen. Uh, and Steve Spear, uh, who were engaged in uh, a 
a very, I believe, the deepest study of uh, Toyota. So the question is, how does this work? And why, why can General Motors spend millions of dollars on lean, and yet they still can't meet that standard? So what is, what is going on there? And uh, Steve and, and Kent, the, the way that Steve did his work was he went to work at Toyota. And over a four-year period of time, he worked in, I've forgotten now, how many different places that were doing the Toyota production system. And the one thing that they wanted to uh, prove was this was not necessarily a Japanese mindset, that, uh, uh, that um, uh, it was not necessarily a... Um, it was it, it was not Japanese thinking. So he worked in Toyota factories in America, in Europe, in Japan. And what he saw was, despite all those different cultures and Canada, and uh, despite all those different cultures, he kept seeing the same thing. Seeing the same thing manifested differently. And he it it dropped down to what is the culture that causes this and it's a Toyota has a remarkable ability to enable people to succeed and uh and and make learning part of their success and and then to spread that within the organization and they identified four rules for uh, the Toyota uses. What's the essence of the of of, of the Toyota production system? And uh, that was written up in the, their article, which I had a minor part of the DNA of the Toyota production system. And and I have talked with people at Toyota, and they will say those rules are our DNA. So I gave them the option of, okay, you think this works? Let's try it in healthcare. Let's try it in a completely different industry. And they took me up on it. And that's where we started. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll link in the show notes um, that Steve Spear article, uh, Decoding the DNA of the Toyota Production System. Very famous article. I think it's available. It should be available uh, free through uh, HBR. Yeah. And I would uh, I, I definitely, that was a very important article. And um, uh, um, there was another article I'll mention while you're doing that by um, um, uh, Amy Edmondson, and um, I'll give you the other author's name in a second as it comes to me, but it's... Uh, was, was it Anita Tucker? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You saved me. And that's um, um, that's uh, their, their article on um, sci- organizational and psychological barriers to improvement in healthcare because of small system failures. And that was again, very, I had, I had some minor part in that in teaching people to observe, but that, that, that really has been the foundation for my, for the work. Yeah. And uh, Amy Edmondson uh, was my guest here in episode 356. Great. Um, Regular listeners will know that if you're listening for the first time, you can go back, you can find, that episode because we took a really good deep dive into psychological safety and her relatively recent book, The Fearless Organization. Yes, that's a great she book. She shares that, that research, including 
um, in healthcare. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, and Steve Spear has been a guest a number of times here on the podcast as well. And you talk about that article and those four rules, and sometimes people refer to them as the rules in use. Um, you, you don't hear many people in lean circles um, talk about those rules. Um, so it's, I, you know, I would encourage people to, to go um, take, uh, take a deeper look at that because uh, maybe, you know, the, the next question uh, for you, John, is to, to talk about, well, what did you learn trying those four rules that describe how Toyota structures and improves and manages work? How, how did you find that um, to, to apply in healthcare? To what extent? Good fit? Some limitations? What, what did you learn? Um, the first, it, 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 the learning comes in stages, and uh, the learning comes via your personal stages rather than what Toyota is going to set out for you to, you know, hit this target, you know, go to this goal, go to this level, and then take them to learn these terms, that sort of thing. And it's very much discovery-based learning. And uh, that is, uh, that's an essential part of the, of the work. So Toyota would um, um, say that we're, we're, we're a great car manufacturer, but we really don't know what an assembly line is. I mean, we've been doing this for a long period of time. So the year before I, uh, I started this work, there was a, a paper and a case written from Toyota where they had done 80,000 improvements at, uh, at, at Georgetown in, in one year. And uh, uh, the answer, the next answer is they'll probably do 110 the next year. <laughs> so what is this all about? And you know, why, you know, how does this work? And it's not a project. That's the other thing. Uh, I had a chance to meet with uh, Mr. Oba, uh, Hajim Oba, who was uh, kind of a great leader, great Toyota leader, uh, uh, and, and was head of the Toyota uh, System Support Center for many years. And uh, he told me, um, here's the difference between Toyota and other consultants. And he put his hands up in front of him and he spread his fingers apart. And, uh, and he said, the, uh, um, the regular consultants, they take their, you know, they implement on, uh, they implement solutions in the workplace. And the way he demonstrated this was he just kind of took his spread fingers from his right hand and then put them on top of his left hand and then turned that, turned the left hand by that. And he said, what they don't realize is the world will change in unknown, in unpredictable ways. So Toyota consultants do not do that. What we do is, and he held his left hand out there with the fingers all white out, we develop the people. And he took his right hand and then everything flowed out of that, out of his, out of the right hand. We develop the people, and everything flows from that. And I think, and one one reason, uh, uh, Mark, I really respect your work is 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 you really emphasize this respect for for people. Toyota has tremendous respect for the 
average for the intelligence and the potential of the average human. They don't seek to hire virtuosos; they seek to make virtuosos. <laughs> right. Well, I think maybe just to interject for a second. I think one thing they respect that I did not see respected to General Motors and other manufacturers was that I, you know, uh, people who don't have as much formal education can be just as creative and and just as smart about their work and improving their work. And they tap into that where I think at General Motors, unfortunately, you know, there was long, long dynamic there, but um, people often look down upon the hourly workers and say, well, they're uneducated. So what can they contribute other than, you know, an old Henry Fordism, their back and their arms, but they have a brain. So let's use that. Let's, let's utilize that brain. That's uh, and the brain is an important part of that, and actually, that's a that's that that that's an interesting thought. Education can get in the way of learning. Yeah, yeah. And there's Same no question that yeah. that's a fact, and uh, it does and it does get to if we if we get into the neurophysiology, we can talk a little bit about that, but. So I, I think that that's one of their ways of, of, of learning. They just put you out there, or you know, that is their way of teaching. When I, when I went down there, you don't learn at Georgetown because it's such a huge, gigantic place. They have a play, uh, when I was there, called Summit Polymers, which is a small factory in the area that makes uh, injection molded uh, plastic parts, like you know the air conditioner uh, inlets or outlets in your, in your, in your car for Toyota. And they're just known for doing particularly good TPS and there's only 120 people working there. And, uh, so I was there red, hot shot, hot shot, Harvard, boy, we're ready to go. I'm, I'm going. And they really kind of disarm your education, uh, because, um, uh, I was told to, uh, uh, very graciously met very nice people. And I was, went to the factory and, uh, and they pointed to a box over on the, over in the middle of the production floor. And they said, go, go tell me what goes on there. Period. It's pretty open-ended. Yeah. So, uh, I went over there and, um, uh, I, started to look for manuals and I started to look for other things and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, went back and I brought my, my discoveries back to my teacher. And, uh, she said, uh, go back. Didn't say wrong. Didn't say, uh, 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 yes, no, I think you're close, but you ought to no. She said, go back. When no instructions whatsoever is <laughs> going back. And so then I looked through the box and I looked, tried to figure this. It was a high junker box, which you would call a high junker box. And, and for, for managing, you know, for manning, managing just-in-time flow. And um, it's, um, and, uh, and then I came back and, uh, and I asked people what they did. I came back and told her. And, um, she said, uh, go back. And <laughs> is this getting frustrating yet? <laughs> the third time is, um, well, you know, it's, they, they do it in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. 
um, they do it in a nice and a respectful way. Uh, basically, they're saying, you're probably smarter than that answer, but they didn't tell me that. And the final time I, I, I went back and, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, I just watched everybody. I just watched what everybody did. And I went back and told her, this is what I saw. And she said, draw it. No, yes, no, major. And actual visual, the, the visual representation of the work is a very important part of their, uh, of their learning. And so that was my, that was my, uh, uh, you know, and, and I spent about two weeks there. But then what I did was found a hospital. And I used the doctor connections. And we found a hospital in the Boston area in which we could test these ideas out in a healthcare organization. And that led to the, that, that, that led to the next part of the work. And under the guidance of Steve Spear and Kent Bone, particularly Steve, um, um, I had to discover my way through how it worked at Deaconess Glover Hospital. And then that probably then informed a later article that was written uh, by Spear, uh, fixing healthcare from the inside yep. today, which I think another great article that people might not know about. So um, people go check that out. I'll link to that's that good, one as another, well. That's, that's another great connection. And uh, I, the other thing that I think is an important part of the about the learning and uh, is um, I was learning a lot, but uh, I was part of a Harvard, a large healthcare organization, a large uh, educational organization with specific goals and, uh, uh, and opportunities. And, uh, and I was interested in Toyota, but they're a large manufacturing organization. Um, uh, I really had to go out and do it myself. And that's what I decided to do. I decided to step out of the academic world and actually start a business around doing this. And I think that that was really key to my learning because all of a sudden, if this stays alive, I've got to do it and figure it out. And I think that that's an important, Toyota has a very, very, very saying you hear all the time. You cannot know until you see, you cannot see until you do. And that is, uh, that is a fact. And that led to adaptive design, which is a, I was also very interested in design thinking, and that's uh, where the adaptive design. Most organizations are perfectly designed to not adapt. So what are the characteristics of an organization that is designed to adapt and apply that to healthcare? And yeah, so that, so what, what do you remember? Like, was there a certain spark, like the, the, the origin of that phrase, adaptive design, and like you said, the book is designed to adapt? Was, was there a moment or, I don't know, it just evolved, uh, the language you were using? Yeah, it was very specific. I mean, I was trying to characterize, and I couldn't characterize what I was doing as lean at that time, because it was different than lean, lean, lean to me at that time. And I, uh, it seemed to vary w with the eyes of the consultant kind of, or the, you know, of what this person does or that person does. And I had, and I also noticed that nobody at Toyota talked about lean at that time. And they did say that 
they did say that this was our DNA. I did hear them say that, uh, the, the rules and use. So uh, I needed a name and uh, marketing. Uh, uh, what, what personifies what you're talking about? Clay always said the name should, Clay Christensen would say in a disruptive innovation, the name should mean something about what you're going to do and what's going to happen if a, for a disruptive innovation. And uh, uh, I uh, and and my feeling was most organizations are not designed to adapt. I was interested in design thinking at that time. Design thinking is a big part of adaptive design. So, what are the characteristics of an organization designed to adapt? healthcare. So adaptive design became the name. Yeah. So I one, one thing that occurred to me when I was looking back um, at the, the, the title of your book, which I had read pretty soon after it came out, uh, it's listed uh, 2009 publication date, when the subtitle talks about leading healthcare in challenging times. Like so I've been involved in healthcare since 2005. I can't think of a time that has not been challenging times. You had the run-up to the Affordable Care Act. You've had recessions. You've had other uncertainties. You've had technological changes. Now you've had the pandemic. I mean, it, it, it's always, like I'm not making light of that, but I think it's, it's an observation. It's always challenging times, and that's why we need to be adaptive. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that's the raison d'etre for where I'm at right now. Um, we started managing care to improve quality and lower costs. But we failed yeah. mm. because what we can say is the data is very clear. Our quality has actually declined in many and, and certainly compared to, to the rest of the developed world. Uh, our, our quality is diminished while our costs of, have risen dramatically. So um, this is a, we're talking about a different approach and, and it is a very challenging times. Part of the challenge is, so I, I is our, it, it is a systems approach. I really like Paul Batalden uh, uh, at uh, one of the founders of IHI and his comment was systems are not broken. Every system is perfectly designed to deliver the results it gets. And looking at it from, it makes it a lot easier to think about, well, this is not bad people and it's not bad technology and it's not, you know, uh, egregious uh, doctors or, or uh, isolated executives. It's, uh, this is a system problem and we can make changes in our system. So how do you identify problems in, in the system and change them as quickly and simply and as easily as possible as part of everyone's daily work? That's adaptive design. Now, one thing I've heard, I'm, I'm curious if you've heard similar things, is that with the challenges of the past year plus, with the onset of COVID, trying to figure out how to adapt to an, a relatively unknown, not well understood disease, demands for new treatments, demands for how to ramp up testing, 
now and more recently ramping up um, vaccination. I've I've heard reports from organizations that are many years into what they might call a lean journey. And it said that they were more, I think people have used the word adaptive. It seems like it's a word that would fit that because of that underlying foundation of getting better at doing improvement work all throughout the organization, that they were able to be more responsive or more agile. There's different words that you could use. Exactly. Um, Have you heard similar reports? I think uh, there, it's very clear that some organizations have been more successful than others uh, in 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 dealing with this in dealing with these problems. And uh, so, what are the characteristics of their success? And if we drop down to the to the to to the basics, it uh, it leads to it leads to five principles that I'm framing as this work and it's not just unique to me i mean so the other part of my work was i not only did toyota but i also uh uh, spent time uh uh uh, with uh, ibm and um uh and andy grove and at that time clay Uh, uh, andy grove changed clay christensen's view of disruptive innovation clay used to talk about disruptive technology and and uh, uh, I wrote a case about this. Uh, Andy Grove said, uh, "Doctor, I see the flaw in your theory. That, how how would you like to be the famous doctor <laughs> sitting in the round all the all the top executives when the guy in the front row holds up his hand and and says, "I see the flaw in your theory." And she said, "It's not a problem. It's not a technical problem. It's an organizational problem. The organization." can't adapt and uh, uh so it's the it's the any change and, and i remember him coming back clay coming back from that session and he said we're we're changing the name it's, it's un- and unfortunately the the book had already been what written about disruptive technology but it's actually disruptive innovation that makes the difference yeah yeah um Wow, so that's I didn't know that that Intel connection. That's an interesting um, influence, and, and Andy Grove is of course uh, legendary for his contributions uh, to to that company, and um, you know widely emulated management practices. I've, I've known people at Intel. I think the phrase they use there is it construct. I think the I think there's a phrase con- constructive confrontation that they tried to encourage that. And, and maybe he demonstrated that with you where he was blunt, but probably like respectful, but direct rather than dancing around the issue and not getting anywhere. No, I think that that's true. And I get, it gets, gets, that gets to be part of the culture. And, and the way that's done is it's, it is, it is, it is developed as, and done in an environment uh, as a, as a learning experience is that, I mean, so that's, people discover, oh, and um, I mean, the, the success of Toyota is their ability to fail effectively. And they are, that's, there's one thing I want to make a mention of, and we'll do more of this when we, when we do the, the Kyoto webinar, but um, the, the whole work, the whole idea of standardized work, I mean, we have to standardize the work. We've got to give me the data and then we'll have, we'll, we'll standardize the work and we'll hold people accountable to do the work as standardized. 
what I discovered and, and talk about in my book is um, Toyota does create workplace standards, but they don't standardize. And I like, I like the fact that you, you comment about yourself about, uh, about that, that uh, you take the, I, the standardize off you standardize work, but before you do that, you put in place the capability to change because the assumption is the standard will fail and you just want to know when it fails as quickly, simply, and easily as possible. And that is, that is, that is the culture and in the front line knows what's happening. Certainly the case in healthcare. Yeah. Well, and I think one, one piece of it um, is thinking back to systems. We can develop standardized work, but if there are factors that prevent people from doing it that standardized way, that's a system problem. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, if um, so, so it comes back to that question of um, the system is designed either to allow people to follow the standard or not, or or sometimes depending on the circumstances that are in place. And instead of um, yeah blaming people for not following the standard. We'll go and understand and learn and, uh, and you know make it easier for people to do the right thing. I think is one of the kind of general principles there. Yeah, and and the and directly connecting that in terms of the of the standardized uh, of, of workplace standards. If the world is a complex, dynamic, unpredictable place, your standard will fail. It 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 will fail. So actually identifying when that is the case is very important. And I think one of the, one of the best things we've done in adaptive design is this concept of having a clear objective for the work, a clear, meaningful objective, which is actually never a number. And we can talk more about that, why it's not a number, but uh, the objective, and it's a customer-centric ob- objective, and the question, is, and we call it in adaptive design, I call it ideal patient care, it's five things. And what we do, what we tell staff is, just tell us when you can't meet patient care needs ideally. Mm, yeah. And that's a problem. And that's the, I mean, that that gets to be the uh, the. Uh, that's 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 the start of of ident you know Jakota you know uh, we and and then making building in quality start yeah. the work pardon yeah, yeah building in quality for people who might not know that word yeah yeah building in quality and uh, and uh, allowing the people who have to do the work a place to say wait a minute I don't have what I need. And the, and the changes are oftentimes very, are, are very small and you can make lots of them. So creating the system for that to happen is an important part of adaptive design. Yeah. Well, and then when you, you talk about organizational problems, this comes back to Amy Edmondson and that phrase psychological safety. Bingo. Because I've been in workplaces where either people were afraid to speak up and ask for help. And then that leads to all sorts of problems. Um, you know, I would say again, you know, that system, that workplace culture, is helping drive those results. Either it's people don't people have been belittled or mocked or made fun of for saying I don't know something, or I've, I've faced a new I'm facing a new situation here. Should I guess and do my best, or should I stop and ask somebody? And you know, Toyota has that technology that 
you know, they'll call the Andon cord, but there are other automakers that copied that technology, but still had organizational problems where people would pull that cord and they would get in trouble for stopping the line instead of being praised for putting quality first. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, exactly. And, uh, I think an important aspect, so from the adaptive design, how do you make that safe? We do, um, we, we do establish this clinical object, uh, or this, this objective for the, for the organization. And it's essential that leadership is involved in that. That's a very important job. Where are we going? I've, I'll, I'll mention, um, uh, some work, uh, a doctor by the name of Sam Stanton in, in Iowa is a medical director for ABCM. Uh, uh, it's a post-acute care organization there. Uh, uh, Sam was a, um, a U.S. Naval Intelligence offer, uh, operative during the Iraq War uh, before he became a doctor. And uh, he got out of the service and uh, uh, became a doctor. He was in the service at the time that the U.S. military was really dramatically changing a lot from the traditional command and control into what they now call or called at that time network centric operations really looking at 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 how the network works to support and what is intelligence intelligence was not a data spreadsheet it is what's happening now on the firing line and when he got out uh uh and became a doctor uh intelligence, quote unquote, data collection in healthcare drove him crazy, he said. I mean, he was just really frustrated by it and ended up going into uh, post-acute care, which he found easier to, to work with than in the hospital world. But Sam introduced me to network-centric operations, and we've added that now into uh, adaptive design. And I think it's an interesting place. We'll explore it in the Kata uh, uh, webinar also, that you create um, uh, leading indicator data. So you don't want to, you, you want to know what's happening now that's going to predict where you are in the future. So instead of waiting for lagging indicator data, instead of waiting for your error reports or, the, or your P&L to come back, what are the things that you can do now the actions that will predictably change that future. So leading indicators are a very important part of this work. And we've, I've adopted through Sam's uh, uh, counseling and advice, a big part of network centric operations into the adaptive design work we're gonna talk about uh, uh, on June 15th. So, and the, the, the biggest value is the problem with adaptive design. Here's the problem. It's too fast. It's too fast, and you get out in front of isolated decision makers who are relying on predictive data, and it's different. So being able to um, uh, uh, first start and start small and show leadership that their job is instead of moving more information up to decision makers, it's developing, aligning, and coordinating very rapid decision-making occurring close to where the information is being generated. So instead of moving information, you're, you're developing and coordinating that decision-making. That can be threatening. 
And what we want to do is show leaders and executives in healthcare, they have a tremendous opportunity to do that. And they just need the information and the data to do it. So what I like to say is this is a direct natural extension of what you're currently doing, but it goes to a new place. It goes to a different spot. Yeah. And when you talk about, um, Network centered operate is network centric or network centered? They they talk about network centric operations. Centric. That's, the, yeah. that's 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 what I've that's the yeah. terminology I've used. Yeah. There's probably a lot of jargon around that that I'm not aware of. So okay, yeah, no, I was I was asking, I wasn't correcting, I was making sure I didn't have it wrong. But um, I, I think that that is covered in a book I read a couple of years ago. A lot of people have read called uh, Team of Teams by yes. uh, General Stanley McChrystal, kind of yes. shifting from. Um, uh, commands to this idea of commander's intent. We're going to tell you what we need to accomplish. You have more leeway now to figure out how to accomplish that task. And I think that idea is really helpful in healthcare. A commander, yeah, we wouldn't say commander in healthcare, of course, unless it was a military hospital. We could say uh, leader's intent is uh, zero harm. That doesn't mean the leader has all the answers for how we get there. That's right. And, and a matter of fact, they uh, it's the discovery that they can't, and it's not it's because it's impossible. It's it it is too complex, dynamic. It's the other the other big thing in the world now is talking about VUCA environments, uh, uh, volatile, volatile, unpredictable, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, uh, being able to deal with that kind of world, healthcare is a VUCA environment. I actually use commander's intent in talking about this because I uh, the the concept the the uh, the objective that you're setting, this North Star, this North Star objective that you're going to use for alignment, that, uh, um, um, yes, you can say commander's intent in healthcare, and, and you're talking about, you're talking about that. Uh, um, and being able to deliver. Matter of fact, that is essential because that tells the front line, wait a minute, I can't, uh, something, the system's not right. I can't do that. The, you know, the Prilosec is not in the Pixis machine. Uh, and that's the level of problems you really need to be working on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one other thing, you know, before we wrap up, I want to hear a little bit more maybe as a teaser or a preview uh, for the webinar. Again, that's going to be June 15th. You can go to kinexus.com slash webinars um, to register for that. It's free. I hope you'll tell colleagues about that. Um, if, if maybe it's a different origin story or it's just, it's just a question, how, how did you discover Kata or Toyota Kata? Why, why has that been so exciting to you? Um, well, I started with, uh, some people that worked in healthcare and they're now, uh, and they were actually uh, consultants that had done a lot of lean and, uh, they did adaptive design. And uh, it really changed their thinking. And they're now back also working in the, uh, uh, they're working with uh, large automobile manufacturers now. And, and uh, they're talking about, they mentioned this issue of Kata. And so I just, that's where I, that, that's how I came to that info. And I just uh, looked it up and uh, watched Mark Rother's uh, uh, YouTube video. And the connection when you say it's the scientific method is, that is the essence of adaptive design. It is the 
you create relevant information and simple rules that allow you to do science. Real science. We work this way now and it caused this problem. How would we redesign our work? What are our countermeasures to, to, to solve this problem? And then how do we test it? And um, uh, that, and a lot of his term, a lot of uh, Mark Rother's terminology, it's just, just like it came out of adaptive design. I, I, ho I hope the book was helpful in its uh, in its development. But that, but that really that really crosses the 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 kind of the chasm from my point of view of moving away from tools to science and and how do you manage that is the focus for adaptive design i will guarantee any healthcare organization you can dramatically improve care expand your capability to the comfort zone for managing uh, complex problems and make a lot of, and and dramatically increase your profitability i can guarantee that but i need to be able to engage leadership and management in that and it is you know it is coaching but it's it's moving the coaching instead of the coach doing the work. It's the coacher. It's the coach who enables the people who to do the work themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense, but no. uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's similar, and I, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm pretty sure they don't use the word kata internally, but I think it's described like when people see what what Rother kind of distilled from his study of Toyota, they'd say, okay, yeah, yeah, that's. That's how we think. That might not be the exact same words we use, but that's how they think. And I think that's similar to the four rules and what um, Steve Spear helps draw out of them. And I think it's tough sometimes, like people who are so enveloped in a system like that struggle to explain it, where I think sometimes an outsider helps sort of draw out um, a description that would make sense to those of us who are outsiders. Right. Yeah. And, um, you can't do science without rules. There has to be rules and boundaries. And you can't do science um, if the laboratory is keeps changing <laughs> all the time. From without out of, you know, with no control by the people in the laboratory. And so we actually create that we call it a learning line and we create a place in the organization to start small, simple, and safe to discover then the, and we'll do that. I, I, that's never failed. What we're working with with leadership now is the leadership role is to replicate and scale that success because along with it comes trust and optimism. People experience this works and they believe it and they want to keep doing it. That's trust and optimism. So what leadership does is set the place to discover and learn and then replicate and scale success, trust, and optimism. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the course. Yeah. So maybe one last question, John. Um, we talked earlier about developing people, developing leaders at all levels. I've heard you use a phrase when we've, we've chatted before, uh, leadership kata. So if you could maybe explain a little bit of that, and I think it also serves as a preview for the webinar. Yeah. Leadership kata has uh, um, five principles. Uh, um, first, 
you, ha you have to have a clear, meaningful objective. And by meaningful, it is something that attaches to people emotionally as well as intellectually. And it's essentially never a number. Now, that's something that's really hard for people to come up with. The numbers flow out of that. But uh, it, it's, uh, it is, and, and, the, the, uh, and Toyota actually has a, quote, ideal. I took that from, from Steve and, his, uh, and, and Kent's work. And you'll, if you read, the, if you read the, um, the DNA article, you'll see he talks about what Toyota's unspoken, unwritten ideal is, but it's the way management works. And um, that's the great gift of Steve and Kent's work is they, they put into words what just is part of the culture. So clear, consistent, meaningful objective. Secondly, you always start small, simple, safe, uh, uh, and, and, and fast in terms of doing this work. Uh, you, you, you never do it you, it's, it's, you have to start in a controlled environment. You're doing science. You can't do it every place. So you, you pick a place. It can be a unit. It can be a service line. It can be any place you want to in your organization. So that, uh, that, and the next step is you use relevant information and simple rules to change. And relevant information is one of the real keys and one of the ones that where management can start holding up their hands and say, I have a problem. I took relevant information out of the agile uh, software uh, work. Relevant information is very specific. It's timely, role-specific, and actionable. You never get information that is not for you, timely, role-specific, and actionable. Any other kind of information is wastes. Timely, role-specific, and actionable, and you must be able to take action, and there's a rapid feedback on the effects of your action. It's, uh, I mean, it's similar to uh, John Boyd's OODA loop for, uh, it's, that, it's that same context. So you have to have relevant information and simple rules, and the rules that I've adopted are the are the, are the work uh, of, 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 of Kent and Steve. I like uh, uh, D. Hawk, who is the inventor of the Visa card. That's a relatively disruptive innovation. He, uh, he said, uh, clear purpose and simple rules give rise to complex and intelligent behavior. Complex rules and regulations give rise to simple, stupid behavior. So, yeah. uh, it's, so simple it's, rules. And, yeah. uh, and, and then... The, the, the improvements are made by focused innovation teams, which are embedded in the work, and, uh, and it's the people doing the work who participate them under leadership. We have a role we call learner, leader, teacher, and that becomes the role of management, and that'll always work. And then we say, number five, this is for leadership, replicate and scale success, trust, and optimism, and never stop. Well, those are um, really interesting and uh, I, I think inspiring words um, to, to never stop. I think that's been true uh, for the decades that you've been um, do, doing this type of work, studying it, teaching others, continuing to learn. I think you're demonstrating that for us very well, John, the idea of uh, never stop. So I'm glad that that's, I'm glad that's the case. 
I'm going to keep on going. Yeah. <laughs> That's my plans. <laughs> well, great. Well, I'm glad one of those keep goings is, uh, again, coming up uh, June 15th. Um, the webinar uh, is going to be presented by um, Dr. John Kanegi. Um, his book, again, is uh, it's called Designed to Adapt, Leading Healthcare in Challenging Times. Um, I ask authors some, this sometimes. I don't mean to put you on the spot with the things that you're learning and talking about. Uh, another book, maybe, to come out of you? Actually, there is one in the works right now, okay. and, but All it's right. going to be a combination of uh, text, but uh, a video and visual. And hmm. what I want to make it to do is actually have it, it's going to be kind of a living book because I want to be able to have it continually edited and adapted by people who are doing this work. Oh, wow. And, uh, that's the, so I'm, it's a disruptive innovation of the paper book. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds like it really is. Um, John's website, if you want to learn more, is uh, kanegiassociates.com. And I'll make sure there's a link to that. Again, a link to the webinar registration page, the book, the articles that have been mentioned. We've, we've touched on a lot here in the episode today. So, John, um, thank you so much for that. I'm glad that we could do the episode. And, and thank you in advance uh, for doing the webinar. Really nice to collaborate with you on these things and uh, to learn from you. So thank you very much. Well, I really appreciate you having me, Mark, and and uh, and I think and I see your work and and I, and the work of Lean now as a, a real opportunity. It's an area of opportunity uh, for us and mm-hmm. all of the payers. So that's one thing we'll talk about: is uh, this is a way to provide better care at lower cost, and everybody wins yeah. under those circumstances. So, yeah. including the government, yeah. and I think it's a great option for us. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, John, and um, look forward to uh, the webinar and um, keeping in touch with you. Thanks again. Very good. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Dr. Kanegi for being a great guest today. For show notes, links, and more, including a link to the webinar on June 15th, you can go to leanblog.org slash 417. Please follow, rate, and review the podcast if you haven't already done so. If you like this episode, please share it on LinkedIn, especially is a great way to get the word out about our guests and these conversations. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.